Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, February 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... Excuse me. On today's show, how does the state Senate's infrastructure plan affect the Department of Transportation? We'll hear from the agency head as legislators pool funds for roads and bridges. And we'll you determine what you're going to do with $25 million less. Then, as advocacy groups push for fewer restrictions on ex-cons, some state lawmakers are weighing in on the right to vote. And find out what being weather-ready means as changing temperatures draw the threat of severe weather near. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi Senate has advanced a measure that would spend more than a billion dollars on state infrastructure projects. Senate Bill 3046, called the Bridge Act, passed in a 36 to 14 vote. It includes a complex five-year plan to fund roads, bridges, leaking dams, water, and sewer line repairs. It calls for issuing bonds, putting the 2% set aside from the state budget for the rainy day fund into programs for bridge replacement and a strategic highway initiative. Although the Bridge Act is moving quickly, it is not without question. Democratic Senator Angela Turner-Ford of West Point tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the bill leaves some questions unanswered. Well, one of the concerns that I have is specifically the $25 million that's being taken from the Department of Transportation. Um, my question is, you know, how is that agency going to function? In addition to that, um, the money that would be allocated to the counties, how are the counties going to function? So I think that there are some, a lot of unanswered questions that I have. It's complicated. It is. The part that I did not like in particular was the authority that's being given to the governor as well as this advisory council. Um, as was mentioned during the debate, the bill is about 300 pages long. It was just presented to the committees, and um, we're deliberating the bill. And actually, it has passed the Senate. So those are my major concerns. Did you have a chance to go through the bill? As best I could. Um, you introduced an amendment. Tell us what you wanted to change about it. The amendment that I presented um, would remove the governor as uh, the person responsible for deciding the funds for the emergency bridge and road repairs, um, would replace him with the state road engineer, and also remove the advisory council, those members that were listed. All of that authority would lie with the state engineer and um, would also require that uh, the bridges that were support was submitted for repairs would be prioritized according to their weight, their design, and the impact on the public. That's not done now? No, not with the state engineers, not, no. And um, at this point, we, I just did not want to see all of that authority in one particular place or one body. So what happens now? Well, the bill will be transmitted to the House. Now, I'm assuming at this point there is um, an opportunity that the bill will be held on a motion to reconsider. Um, so we'll know more, I would say, within the next 24 hours about the fate of the measure. And there are a couple of other um, funds that would be used to um, 
One of the issues that has come up is uh, no one wants to raise taxes, but there needs to be infrastructure improvements and replacements made. So grappling with those two things, does this in any way, in your mind, move the process forward? I am not sure that it does. Um, I think revenues are down. And it's just a major question in my mind of where the, re- the resources are going to come from in order to fund much-needed projects throughout the state. So I'm not sure that it moves us forward at all. Senator Angela Turner Ford. Governor Phil Bryant says he looks forward to fine-tuning the measure. He tells our Desiree Frazier he's ready to move forward slowly. You know, one of the things that I think we can do is move forward with some caution. Um, and as I've said, I've I'm forwarding the information to the uh, to the White House and Department of Transportation, but I I, I don't want to be so um, disruptive as to stop what momentum may be present in the Senate and the House. I've learned a long time ago um, I, I can work with most any bill the House and the Senate brings forward, particularly at this point in the legislative process. There is concern that there shouldn't be an advisory board and the governor should not be involved in that process. How do you feel about that? I I think it's a good idea. I think the governor um, gets either the blame or some small amount of credit for infrastructure. We talk about infrastructure in Mississippi and the failure. Uh, Most people ask for my uh, remarks on that, and I have very little control over a billion-dollar budget at the Department of Transportation. So I think uh, whether it's uh, this administration with just a little uh, less than two years or the next administration, governors need to have some input into what infrastructure plans would look like going forward for Mississippi. Any thoughts on this, Bill? I know it's 300 pages. It came out yesterday. I think it's a good start. Uh, I think that Senator Fillingang worked hard on it, as did other members of the Senate. The lieutenant governor briefed me on it yesterday. I think it will change a lot before uh, the process is completed. But it, it, it is continuing to move forward, I think, with all sincerity for a good statewide infrastructure bill. And I don't want to slow that down. Governor Phil Bryant with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Melinda McGrath is executive director of the State Department of Transportation. She talks to MPB's Desiree Frazier. Now, instead of coming forward saying these are the uh, inefficiencies we found, they're saying we're just going to take the money and you go determine what you're going to do with $25 million less. And the comparison is made with our overall budget, which which this year is about a billion, and that $25 million out of a billion shouldn't be a big deal. Well, I think in any Mississippian's mind, $25 million is a big deal, first off. Secondly, the comparison should be made with the state portion of our budget, which is $450 million, because that's where the 25 is coming from. And that funds the things that the federal side does not fund. And as far as saying that MDOT only spends $216 million on the maintenance of our roads is just simply confusing the budgetary programs. There's a construction program by law and there's a maintenance program by law. But the construction program just means that that's federally funded projects and they're bridge replacements. They are uh, overlays, pavement rehab. As a matter of fact, last year out of over a billion dollars that was spent directly on, on the road, only about 87 million was spent on what you would deem as new construction. And those projects are Lakeland Drive, 
which was a legislative mandate, and Interstate 269, which is probably one of the largest economic development highways we have in the state. So um, even though we are glad that now the sentiment has turned to, you know, there is a need statewide for our local roads and bridges and our state roads and bridges, I find it ironic that the Transportation Commission is now under attack. And, you know, every citizen in this state deserves to be fairly represented. And these are three individuals that are directly elected by the people to voice their concerns over our roads. So even though we are encouraged, we are concerned. Is there anything in this bill that you do like? I believe they mentioned $200 million in new monies. There's very little in this bill that we like because all the new money is going to be under the control of the governor. It is taking the authority and the responsibility away from the Transportation Commission, which is set up in law. MDOT Director Melinda McGrath with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Republican Senator Joey Fillingain of Sumrall authored the bill. He says he's not against the State Department of Transportation. There may be folks out there who look at this and would think that we're being critical of MDOT. I certainly am not. I have friends at MDOT. I think they do stellar work with what they have. The way I look at this is we're coming alongside of them and we're complementing what they're already doing and we're adding to a billion extra dollars over five years um, on top of what we're already spending at MDOT. The bill now heads to the House. Coming up, as advocacy, advocacy groups push for fewer restrictions on ex-cons, some state lawmakers are weighing in on the right to vote. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Making men a part of Me Too. What would you say to someone like me who was afraid of the implications that speaking about movement in depth might have on how they're viewed? As a man, Me Too. It seems as though the woman was regretting a decision. Is there any takeaways? Men, we're hearing from you about the Me Too movement. That's next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI, Public Radio International. Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi NAACP is asking lawmakers to restore voting privileges to more than 200,000 Mississippians. Individuals convicted of a felony in the state are barred from voting, some for a specified period and others indefinitely. The NAACP has released a new report on felony disenfranchisement in the state. They say nearly one of every 10 adults in Mississippi lost voting rights due to a felony conviction. Corey Wiggins is executive director for NAACP Mississippi. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood more about the report. I think it tells us two things. I think it tells us a little bit about the criminal justice system, uh, but it also tells us about what we think and our priorities as it relates to voting and voting rights. What we do know is there are a number of people impacted by the criminal justice system here in Mississippi particularly people of color and particularly African-American men. And what we see is, is that when, when people um, uh, go and do their time, they repay their debt to society. And even once these folks leave prison or leave uh, jail, that their remains, their full rights aren't restored. And one of those rights being the ability to vote. What we found in this report is there's over 200,000 people in the state who are disenfranchised because of a felony. Uh, and these are folks who today may be folks who are living, working in communities, being productive citizens, but still don't have the ability or the right to vote uh, and in, in terms of representation in their communities. 
How does Mississippi compare to other states in terms of their disenfranchisement or reenfranchisement? Yeah, so there have been, and that's the thing, there's been a number of reforms enacted in other states and even some reforms by bordering states like Alabama. Uh, and so at a time when, when we have people who are working to actively restore the ability for folks to vote, we still have a process here in Mississippi that restricts the right to vote. And any, I think, you know, as a democracy, as a country, and as a state, uh, we should be actively finding ways to help folks be more participatory in our democratic process rather than limiting limiting ways, particularly when you have folks who may have made a mistake in life at some point in time, who have paid their debt to society, who are productive citizens paying taxes, and these folks should have the ability to vote for folks who represent them and represent their values. All right, Dr. Croy Riggins is the Mississippi State Conference NAACP Executive Director. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for having me, Ashley. Republican Representative Randy Rushing of Decatur tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the findings suggest the state should take a look at the rates. I fully support the nonviolent felons who may have made mistakes, especially at a younger age, who made some bad decisions and got in trouble. I certainly agree with uh, restoring their voting rights. Uh, you know, somebody who has, you know, didn't serve an extremely long period of time based on the, their conviction and that type thing, so. That's just my opinion. I couldn't tell you exactly what the law is on that. Some feel that felons should get that right after they serve, um, you know, serve their time. But then what about those who feel like persons who are incarcerated should be able to vote in jail? What do you think about that? No, I, I disagree with that. I, I think the whole purpose of someone being incarcerated is a punishment. And uh, that, in my opinion, is part of the punishment. You, you, you lose that right. I think when we start uh, allowing too much while a person's incarcerated, it takes away from the process in itself. So it's sort of like, you know, anytime someone's being punished for something, you know, I just feel like if they're currently serving time, I do feel like they should lose that right. With restoring voting privileges, once they've been in prison and now they've been released, how important is that to that person and also just to the system itself? Well, I think it's very important to the system, most especially if, if that person's taking enough interest to want to vote. I, I think it's very, very important to the system because that's how that's what the system counts on is people who keep up with, with government and keeps up with their local officials that, that want to be able to vote. So I do think it's important that the voting rights are reestablished, uh, most especially for those that are, that are wanting them. Uh, you know, you got some that you'll restore their rights and don't vote. You've got some people that's never gone to jail and never had any felonies that don't vote. But I think most importantly, those that at least have a concerted effort or concern enough to want to vote, I think by all means we should give them that right. Representative Randy Rushing with MPB's Ashley Norwood. To download the report, visit the uh, Mississippi NAACP website at naacpms.org. Coming up, find out what being weather-ready means as changing temperatures draw the threat of severe weather near. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Many Mississippians are addicted to opioids. I had my knee cut on in four different places and was prescribed some pain meds. Opioids are dispensed at high rates in Mississippi. More pills mean more opportunity to misuse. But I was a secret user nobody knew. I simply liked how it made me feel. Addicts share their pathways to addiction as part of the series Hooked, Mississippi's Opioid Hangover on Southern Remedy TV. Tune in Thursday at 730 on MPB Television. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. I've never been a snorer. Mm-hmm. I have started snoring. So if you're not getting airflow through your nose, that will make you breathe through your mouth. When you breathe through your mouth and your palate relaxes and gets in your airway, so you get a vibration when you breathe through your mouth, that's the mechanism. So the number one thing you need to do is have whoever is listening to you snore, make sure you don't stop breathing, and that's sleep apnea. That is fixable with a CPAP machine. If you don't have sleep apnea, the best thing to do is to try to get your nose open. The uh, over-the-counter nasal sprays like Nasacort, Rhinocort, etc., they don't cause any long-term side effects if you use them by the directions. Another thing you can try is the Breathe Right strips. The other thing is to stop sleeping on your back. Now, if all of that doesn't work, then you need to see a sleep doctor. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy, live blue. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Emergency management officials are encouraging Mississippians to prepare for the severe weather season. Mississippi leads the nation in tornado fatalities. A statewide tornado drill will be conducted this morning at 9.15. The event is part of Spring Severe Weather Preparedness Week, as declared by Governor Phil Bryant. Lee Smithson is executive director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. He tells us being prepared means not ignoring the warnings. You know, we just try to do it seasonally so that, uh, you know, people were not in the summertime telling people to be prepared for icy weather. So the spring severe weather preparation is just that. It's, it's what we can expect uh, to see really starting in late February all the way through May to be prepared for the tornadoes. You know, April is our historically our, our, our highest tornado month. Uh, and really starting late February through April is when we see um, the potential for flooding. So we're just trying to keep it seasonal and make sure that everyone is focusing on the disasters that they need to be prepared for in the short term. Abnormal weather patterns, which can happen when there's a change in seasons, can result in tornadoes and or flooding because of heavy rainfall? Well, absolutely. And I think that, you know, anytime you see a cold front uh, that's pushing warm, moist air uh, in front of it, you see the potential for tornadoes. And really for Mississippi, uh, it's year-round uh, for that, but we see you know increased probability for tornadoes in February, uh, March, and then it culminates really the last week in April is the busiest week of the entire year for tornadoes in Mississippi. In regard to preparedness, what's number one? What should the priority be? Well, I think that uh, is to be prepared and and to build a preparedness kit because what works for a tornado can also work for a flood, can work for an ice storm. So make sure you have a good kit at home. If you need to know what needs to be in that kit, we just ask everyone to go to our website. That's msema.org, but have a good kit and then have a plan. We started a campaign last week for pushing people to understand what their safe place might be in the event of severe weather, including severe thunderstorms and tornadoes, and have a safe place to go to, obviously, in your home, at work, at school, 
And then just be aware of your surroundings uh, when you're out shopping and other things out in public. So just know that um, you know every single square inch of Mississippi is susceptible uh, to tornadoes. So just have a good plan. Be prepared when the warnings sound to know where you're going to go uh, for both you and your family. I know there are some misconceptions about people thinking they're safe if they do something, for instance, going under an overpass. But as I understand it, that's not a safe place at all. Well, Karen, that's absolutely uh, one of the most dangerous places that you can be for a tornado because that overpass serves as a wind tunnel. So if the tornado gets close to it, those winds will channel down into the narrow places that people think they're safe, and you can actually be blown out of those areas. So we ask people not to do that if the tornado is in proximity. But again, you know, the best thing, Karen, is tornadoes are never really a surprise. I mean, we've got the watches that are issued hours in advance. So what we ask people to do is if there is a threat of tornadoes, is just to minimize their travel. A car and then a mobile home are the most dangerous places to be for tornadoes. So if there is a risk, a possibility of tornadoes, we ask everyone just to know where they're going to go, a family member, a friend, uh, to some of the uh, 361 safe rooms that we have throughout the state to just go and and get into a more permanent structure because uh, we lead the nation in tornado fatalities. And one of the main reasons that we lead the nation in fatalities is because we have so many people who live in mobile homes and do not heed uh, the advice of the local emergency management community of get out of that mobile home before severe weather starts. Describe what you mean when you say get your kit ready, your preparedness kit. What should be in there? Basically what you and your family would need to sustain yourselves for three days. So non-perishable food, one gallon of water per person per day, your important documents. I just can't emphasize that enough that, you know, if your house gets hit by a tornado and you don't, you haven't secured your documents, it could take years to recreate birth certificates and things like that. Cash, because if power is out, uh, you can't go to an ATM and get money out of it. Uh, and certainly a weather radio to help you monitor the situation, a flashlight with spare batteries, a phone charger, just things like that, because, you know, you just never know where you might be uh, and how long the power might be out or before first responders can get to you. So just enough to be able to take care of your family and yourself. Uh, we say you know, the first 72 is on you. We say that for hurricanes. We say that for tornadoes. Really, everyone who is not injured by an event needs to be self-sufficient for three days while first responders are dealing with people who, you know, who have been injured or who have lost everything they have. In regard to getting important information when electricity is gone, Will a cell phone do it? A cell phone is very, very good, but we do recommend a NOAA weather radio uh, over just having a cell phone. But if if not, make sure you've got the local apps on there, and then make sure that that cell phone is always charged up. We I can't tell you how many times people have said we had the, our cell phone apps on, but you know by midnight the the battery died on the phone. If you go to sleep and something happens during the night. And that's why we're, I'm such an advocate for NOAA weather radios, because as soon as the National Weather Service and NOAA push out a warning, those warnings go off. And you cannot silence those warnings you know, before they go off. So they go off, it wakes you up, you can turn it off then. But a NOAA weather radio is a very, very, very inexpensive investment in your safety. Lee Smithson is the executive director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Lee, thank you, as always. Karen, it's my pleasure. Last year, 69 tornadoes caused five deaths and about 60 injuries in the state. The statewide tornado drill will be conducted this morning at 9.15. 
Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB programming comes from the Mississippi Community College Board, providing career education, workforce training, and apprenticeship opportunities for all people. More detailed information at mccb.org.